Welcome to another episode of the Frankie Lee Podcast. Our mission to empower others to break patterns, flip perspectives, so that together we have clarity, direction, and success way beyond what we ever previously thought possible. Here's your host, Frankie Lee. First things first, guys, before we get started with this podcast, do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremoval.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremoval.com. Welcome back to the Frankie Lee Podcast. Today, guys, we have the legend himself, Iman Gazi. He's on the podcast today and he's done some epic things in all forms, agency work. He's got an e-com brand. He's done, he's done everything, haven't you, mate? You've done everything. So yeah, I think lot, that lot bits and bobs. a lot of bits and bobs in, but honestly, we've, uh, we've just come out the cigar lounge. Don't worry. I've not, not been on the old cigars myself, but <laughs> mate, you're in London. How long are you in London for? Uh, only five, six days. Five, six days. Yeah. yeah five, six days. But mate, I, th- I suppose the best place for us to start with, with your journey is kind of like, you were what you obviously I've, I've I've seen a lot of your videos and all that throughout my throughout my life, but you came from a background where you didn't have a lot of money, mm. but you were in an extremely wealthy area. Mm-hmm. So it's like you wanted more for yourself, and you saw all this abundance around you, but you didn't quite have that in your own life. Is it was it something that was that something that genuinely gave you a real good kick to to get started and push forward or? Here's the thing, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily gave me a kick or gave me motivation, it just normalized it. And I think that's the biggest thing with people. It's not that they're, it's not that they're not doing the things to receive wealth. It's that they're generally not, they will, if they had wealth come to them, they would repel it because they don't feel deserving of it. Right. Right. And I think it's because basically the big advantage that I had, as I said, I had a funny situation where, you know, my mom, whatever, married my stepdad. And, you know, it was a funny situation where I was going to private school but then that's basically all my stepdad did for us. And then he got some tax benefits and what yada, yada, you know, whole story there. But I would come home and, you know, even like the last four years I was in my house, we had no warm water, no heating because he wouldn't pay for it. Uh, and then when he found out I was starting a business, uh, he cut off the Wi-Fi. Um, and that's actually why even to this day, I'm still, you know, three. Yeah. Like, well, I'm on three too. And I, I, I watched you say that. I yeah. watched you say this in another podcast as well, like about, about, you know, only road men have three. Yeah. Like three, <laughs> three doesn't exactly have the best coverage, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely not the most ideal, but yeah. you know, they had some pretty decent plans and that's why it's cause you know, they had a, back in 2015, they had a hotspot plan where like, you know, you had a limited hotspot for like 25 pounds a month. So that's basically how I built my business. So as I said, I had this weird, um, the juxtaposition of like not having any money and, you know, me and my mom being on government benefits, she bounced, you know, we bounced between that or she was working at Harrods temporary job or um, Chelsea Westminster hospital. So, you know, it was a very weird childhood because I said I had that drive and the fire inside me, but then I also had a lot of wealth around me. And I think people think, oh, the wealth was what motivated me. No, not at all. It's the wealth normalized it because people have this idea about yeah, wealthy yeah, people yeah, that yeah. they're... There's a gap between it. Yeah, most people yeah. think that wealthy people are very smart. I mean, yes, to, to a point, but it's not necessarily they're very smart. It's just like, 
I mean, look, I'll, I'll be honest, you see some pretty stupid people who end up being ridiculously rich and you almost sit there and you ask yourself and you wonder why. And a lot of times it's just because they're, they're feel deserving of it for whatever reason. Yeah. Right. So as I said, growing up, I would never look at a sports car. I would never look at the wealthy things around and think, oh, I'm not deserving of it. I'm like, yeah, that's, that'll be my reality very soon. And it's just, you know, all I need is a bit of time. So I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that's the biggest disadvantage that, um, you know, we were even talking about uh, certain middle-class families. Yeah. It's this weird purgatory where like you have enough that you don't have any, you know, fire under your ass, but it's also, um, you don't have anything to really. To gauge against. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Whereas at least, you know, when you come from a, a lower income household, at least you actually have that like fire, that spark. Yeah. So I kind of had the best of both worlds and I'd say that was my biggest advantage. I, I kind of believe now from judging from what I've been through in my own life is the fact of like, because I was in a middle-class family, it was harder because it, it was so comfortable. Like, the, you know, they've got the properties, they've got this, they've got that, a few properties and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you look at families where, like you say, where they've got no money, there's a hell of a lot of drive there. But the good thing that wealthy families have, which are, which is like they teach their kids about money and about work ethic and stuff mm. at a lot of levels that, mm. that other people don't understand. Mm. Like, you know, with, with, I mean, I, I know you, you were a big, you were you educate yourself with a lot of books because mm. I, I I remember you saying that you read books like Rich Dad Poor Dad and yeah. kind of they they kind of made a pivot in your mind as well, mm -hmm. right? For sure, I, re I started reading those books when I was fourteen, so you know I didn't necessarily have anyone to help me or mentor me or anything like that. But just those books were basically my uh, you know my phantom mentors at the time. Yeah, yeah. What what were some of your key pivotal books that kind of helped you go from essentially? zero zero dollars zero pounds to 10 million 15 million a year uh, i'd say probably uh well it's different because that's the issue it's like the books to go from zero to you know 50k a year 100k a year the books that you read then are slightly different to the books that you read at this yeah, stage of the yeah, journey yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so the i mean the initial sort of books are like thinking grow rich you know rich dad poor dad this that and those are good books to read right now but if at this stage i don't read those books and get anything from them you know quite honestly and then maybe if you're go trying to go from 100k to a million a year then there's great books like you know uh reality transurfing for example right and those books are a little bit more meaty uh but there's a lot more that you can kind of learn from there so you know it's in the same way i don't necessarily believe that joe dispenza um you know because obviously we we're talking about him you know yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. Uh, you know you'll be uh, indulging in some of his work uh, in just a few days. So his stuff, I don't know if it's necessarily the best place to start with, but once you get to a certain point, because, uh, mm. you know, a lot of people kind of just, you know, do this self-help masturbation where... You yeah, know, it's just like wanking in the wind, basically. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's at the beginning, it's very simple, just do it. Like, that's it, right? There, there's really not much else to it. Uh, and at the beginning, really all it is is just discipline. Whereas... Once you get to a certain stage, then you need to understand your learning beliefs, you know, your mind, all that sort of stuff. I think a lot of people don't understand that they're, that the faster they can address their shadows mm -hmm. and the faster they can get over these certain things that have gone on there in their life that they carry, this baggage that they carry in with them all mm -hmm. the time, the faster they can move through that, the faster they can accentuate into the things that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because how much of your life was held back by, um, you know, things that you hadn't cut off from your past, so to speak? I'd say that's more, that probably affects me a little bit more now. Whereas like, I always tell people, I, I think it's important f for me to say this, like it, my life right now, I wouldn't say is necessarily aspirational, right? Cause this, this happiness 
topic comes up a lot. You know, are you happy? Oh, like how truly happy? I'm like, I'm not very happy, but that's also because I don't care. Like I'm, I care about fulfillment, you know? So everyone's optimizing for a different thing. I optimize for fulfillment. For wow. me, fulfillment is the thing that I care about. And first of all, I think happiness is just, I don't, I can't. Break, break down your, th break down <laughs> the, dif the difference for you between happiness and fulfillment. So, okay. If, let's say for example, when you're boxing, right? You're getting yeah. fucking punched in the face. Like you're just getting beat down and then you overcome it. In that moment, are you happy? 100% because getting punched in the face is shit. Yeah, so you're not, so you're not happy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But after, do you feel yeah. something, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, but that thing you f you didn't feel happiness after you felt fulfillment. Yeah. Right. So I chase fulfillment. That's that's what I'm optimizing for this period of my life. Whereas, what people think is happiness is actually peace. So I th I think for me I have there's three things you can kind of optimize for: fulfillment, peace, or joy. Fulfillment is doing something really hard, you know, boxing, uh, building a company, running a marathon, all right? That's fulfillment. Peace is moving to a farm, walking in the woods. Yeah. That's peace, right? Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily, that peace doesn't necessarily give you joy. Joy is you're in Bali, you wake up with your friends, you get on the mopeds, you ride to a waterfall. That's like joy. That's like when you're in the moment and you're like, you, you feel this like little bubbly sensation, like you're a kid, right? So for me, those are three things that people are actually chasing, but then they kind of like encircle it all in happiness. And I, I just, I don't know what happiness is. I just think yeah. it's, it's, it's a whole load of shit. I, I, I'm, a, I'm understanding that happiness is kind of a, um, it's kind of an illusion because you can't be, you can't be happy all the time. But one thing I want to ask you is like, do you think these things conflict then? Because hundred percent. Because, and, and, because and, and, just, 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 just to tell you, like, because the way I see it for me is mm. like. Peace to me is Australia, mm -hmm. but fulfillment is the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So if I want to grow my fulfillment, which is what I love to do, mm -hmm. then I have to leave the peace, right? Mm -hmm. So is that is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is like they they are conflicting with each other, right? Because joy usually comes with adventure, right? Adventure, trying new things, like being, yeah, just that excitement factor. And joy kind of conflicts against peace because peace is a calming energy. Right. So those two conflict with each other. And then fulfillment for me, I think people really get fulfillment when they're proud of themselves. Right. And when they feel like they've accomplished something. But in order to accomplish something, usually you have to do something difficult and something difficult doesn't bring you peace or joy in the moment. So the three are to just, people just need to figure out what they want. Right. And the whole happiness thing is, as I said, it's a whole load of shit. Like it's figure out what you want from peace, joy or fulfillment. And just understand that if you're optimizing, uh, optimizing for one, then it's in direct conflict with the other two usually. For someone like yourself, that's always going to be, every, all of us are going to be wanting more all the mm -hmm. time. So you, how often do you optimize for, for, for what you want? So like when you want something, so like now you probably want something different than what you wanted last year mm -hmm. because your goals have changed, you've evolved. Mm -hmm. So what's your process in order to map out what you actually truly want? A, you know, strip away ego, strip away vanity metrics, all this stuff. What do you, how do you actually structure what you truly want so they can, you know, so people can go out and get that? As I said, it just, it, it look at your personality. And that, the whole reason this topic kind of came up is because, you know, the everything I've been through and the way that I am as a person, dude, I can't do peace. Like for the, or at least maybe at this season of my life, I can't do, like, I don't care about peace. Like I, and I always like to give, you know, just like certain companies have, you know, as every company should have, you know, their terms and conditions when I'm coming on these podcasts, because I have, 
you know, uh, not a massive audience, but a, a decent audience and definitely a cult-like audience. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel as though it's important to uh, sort of give the terms and conditions that you can try to have my life if you want, but just understand that it comes with not too much joy and pretty much next to zero peace. Of course, I experience moments of peace when I meditate or, you know, walking down, you know, walking down the street in certain places, the sun shining. Of course, you know, I feel, I do feel moments of peace, but in general, you're going to lack in those things, but you'll have more fulfillment and you'll have yeah. the things that everyone else wants. Right. So I think it's just, it's important for me to, to sort of give these, you know, yeah, T, T's and C's and, and just tell people what the actual reality of these things, because, you know, everything everything has a cost associated essentially 100%, what you're saying 100 because it's like you you live in dubai you've got um, nice homes abroad you've got the nice watches you've got the nice things but but i don't think people fully understand what has to be sacrificed to go out and get that and yeah. like i believe from watching you from a young age from when you were a young age even younger than you are now that especially on youtube and the way that you've grown is, and you've shown everything right the way through the journey. It's like you you bled through your eyeballs, so to speak, mm -hmm. for a long time before you ever had mm -hmm. this next uh, season of your life where mm -hmm. you're starting to enjoy the fruits of your labor. And I think that people come into your life, watch you on YouTube at this season, mm -hmm. and they're, they're looking at it as, oh, I want, I want to achieve that season. Yeah, but the seasons you've got to go through to get to the season that you're in right now mm -hmm. is what most people misjudge. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of misjudgment on that. Yeah, well, also people need to understand that the season I'm in right now, you're going to have less, you're going to have, for example, you're going to have less joy than you do in the earlier stages. Because for example, right now, there's like, there's nothing I could buy that could give me any sort of, any, any feeling. Yeah. Like there, there's literally nothing, right? And this is what people need to understand, you know, when they hear like, you know, obviously the the whole quote you see on Instagram, oh, you know, they say money can't buy happiness, but I'd rather cry in a, a Lambo than a Toyota. Well, no, that's actually not true, right? Because at least when you're crying in a Toyota, you're crying in a Toyota because you think that you have lack in your life. You're like, ah, it's, I'm crying because I'm in the Toyota. And, you know, once I get to this or that stage of life, then I'll be happy, right? When you're crying in the Lambo or you're crying in the Rolls Royce, uh, you're like, oh, fundamentally, I'm not happy, right? Yeah. And, which is what people say, but as I said, if people understood joy fulfillment and peace they would understand why they have these emotions right so i guess what i'm trying to say is the person who's grinding and you know just uh, just made their first 100k a year you're gonna get more satisfaction from that than i do at eight figures a year because yeah. i nothing is nothing's new the way i kind of describe yeah. it is like imagine if you lost your uh, sense of taste you can never enjoy food ever there's no pleasure you could ever drive from any food ever you're still going to go to restaurants. Of course yeah, you're going to go because yeah, yeah. it, it's just a part of life, right? But you get no sense of pleasure from it, right? So that's the thing, you know, people look at my life and they're like, oh, you know, he uh, whatever flies private and has these um, watches and, you know, can spend and splurge. And, whatever. and it's like, yeah, but just understand you get no pleasure from that. You do it because, of course, it, it is. You've normalized it. That's why the pleasure has gone. Yeah, of course. Once you normalize it, you accentuate from you've accentuated like you say, into the next season of your life. So mm -hmm. you're looking, you're looking essentially for those next goals that give you that 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 next part where you where you do feel like you know the first time you the first time you buy a jet in the future mm -hmm. or something like that, mm -hmm. you'll probably feel something then. But yeah. by the time you bought your seventh one, you're not yeah. going to feel it as much as when you you 100%. know bought your first one. Yeah, I mean, look, the first time I flew, you know, I flew first class. It was crazy, you know, like it was it was an amazing experience. By the eightieth time you've flown first class. 
and you get the little sliding door or like the you know yeah. i mean some you know or you get one of the the you know uh, if you're flying with singapore you're flying with etihad the suites you know it's cool the first time but you know once you've done it x amount of times you know first fl- time you fly private it's cool once you've done it x amount of times it's you know but for example the first time i fly uh, i actually buy my own jet you know i'm not at a stage right now where i could buy a jet and you know i have my you know company branding on this you know that'll give me a lot of pleasure once i've upgraded to my you know mm. from the you know from the challenger uh, 350 to let's say uh, you know whatever whatever you know a, a larger plane you know um yeah of course you know i'll get a pleasure from the first time but you know once you do it x amount of times then it's I said it's there's nothing there's no feeling they can give you and that's why you've got people like dan bozerian who's like yeah at some point i want to go work at walmart because he's trying to like sort of uh you know wipe the slate clean right yeah, and, and, yeah. and and i've thought about this as well i'm like oh maybe i should like fly economy so that way i appreciate first class more and then i'm like i mean i could but it's also just not sensible right like in the same way you know a wealthy person could go from flying you know uh private to you know doing economy right just to like reset but it's also like no you work hard so that way you know the reason pe- people fly you know the reason i fly in europe like private jet uh, uh, you know uh, private or you know long haul first class is because it it does bring a comfort to your life and it makes my life easier and it makes it easier for me to do the bigger things and the harder things that i want but it's definitely just as long as people know going into it they won't bring you any extra sense of joy then you know uh just go into it with your eyes open is all i'm saying yeah and the, th- the thing i like about you is the fact of like you've there's a lot of shiny objects around for, for people at the moment, mm. especially for the people that watch this. There'll be a lot of shiny objects, where, whether it be e-com, whether it be this, whether it be that, ways, to, 16 different ways to make money online. All this crap is all out there. But the way that you've made your, your first money in order to, to access all this was on the back of a traditional, well, not so much traditional, but a, a nuts and bolts agency. And you, yeah. you deliver this result over here, you charge this over here, performance-based yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Just for for most people that want to create more abundance in their life because i remember you saying about your agency that your agency wasn't the 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 kind of end goal it was just to facilitate you doing something it's a stepping stone yeah like an agency should never be the end goal because it's it's very for me i think it's a very depressing business to run for 30 years but it's it's the best stepping stone possible so yeah, yeah. so you think the agency model then e- even now is still the best 100%. S- stepping stone for someone to go from say job or w- side hustle type thing into 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 you know, creating this abundance you know as an agency is just whatever you're doing but you're using leverage right so let's say for example even with what you do yeah you could sit there every single day and deliver the services for the clients and the set but that's like there's no leverage in that right so an agency all an agency is is using leverage yeah. hiring people whether that's at first on a contract or per client per month basis or eventually hiring people full-time to then deliver the services for you and that's I mean, that's what the big scale agencies do. That's all they do. That's all the law firms do is have a suite of people who charge, you know, who are getting paid, you know, when you take their salary, whatever, let's say 75 pounds an hour, right? Yeah. And they're charging clients 300 an hour. But clients would much rather go to the agency because rather than going to, you know, directly to the, to the lawyer or, you know, having some freelance lawyer, you know, whatever it is, um, because the agency, they understand that the agency not only has the people, but they also have time to focus on the systems, operations, and the client delivery side of things. Um, so it's nothing, you know, it's nothing really that sexy. Like, you know, an agency, uh, some people want, 
this is the thing as well. And I've, I've seen this with certain business models, especially when it comes to like e-commerce or crypto or like trading as well. I've seen this like the easiest way I understand uh, if someone is like a, a fake trader, like if they, don't, if they don't actually make money trading is how opulent is their lifestyle? Right, like I have a full-time crypto researcher that I hired last September. He works for me full-time, manages my portfolio. And dude, he maybe has a drink once a month, maybe with his girlfriend. He has a girlfriend, committed relationship. He doesn't go out because you need to be so on the ball when it comes to being a trader, trading the markets, right? And then I'll see these traders and they're like, you know, in the nightclub, popping champagne and all this stuff and living like a rock star. And you can't do that when you're the only point of reference to your success. You know, the reason I could do the reason I, I, I party hard when I party, I, I party really hard and I enjoy my life is because if everything came down to me, then how the hell am I meant to grow and be successful when I'm hungover and I'm not the you know performing at my best? So I couldn't do that in the first three, you know, two, three years of starting my business. I mean, if I knew now, if I knew what I knew now back then, you know, maybe after the first year or so. But the point is, if I'm the weak link, yeah, um, you're sorry, if, if I'm the strongest link, then and I'm not performing my best, then everything is going to fall apart. You know, so the reason that I can live like a rock star is because I have, I built that infrastructure and I have the team, right? So um, as I said, people want, basically people want to live like a rock star. I say don't, or, or people want their business to live like a rock star. You know, they want to be, they see this stuff of like, be a trader, Yeah. you know, be a trader and you live, you, you know, you trade from the beach. I mean, first of all, anyone who's actually tried to do any work from the beach. It's under, horrendous. It's horrendous. It does, it's not practical. It doesn't work. W working from the beach is the most horrible, horrible, horrible thing that you could ever wish to do. Yeah. Like, uh, there's, there's no, I remember when I first got um, sand mm -hmm. in, my, in my MacBook, I was, I was like, this, this is not what it's cracked up to be. No, no, no. Do you know what I mean? So, so I think that people have got this all confused. Like you say, they're getting trapped in chasing the lifestyle before they've got the business that can facilitate the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's the other way around. Like a lot of, a, you see a lot of people will try and um, will see the clothes you wear or the watches you wear mm -hmm. or, or the way that you carry yourself and they'll try and imitate that mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll try and frame that, but they mm -hmm. won't frame the agency because yeah. that's because the agency is boring and it's hard work it's such a bro it's so boring it's so it's such a it's such a boring traditional business but it, it works but it works yeah. right and that's the other thing it's like look i always say you shouldn't you should if you want to live like a rock star i live like a rock star you know like i live better than the footballers or the rappers or the, like i live very well you know in all areas of my life but that's because i have a traditional boring business that over time i've brought in the right people and between all my businesses that allows me to live like that but you know i'm not Dude, my business is boring. Like, for example, in my software company, right? I'm going to see um, uh, my business partner, my co-founder, you know, later tonight, whenever I'm in London, we like to do a catch up. Dude, we're going to sit and we're going to talk about LTV and we're going to talk about churn and we're going to talk about, you know, uh, different bug fixes. And it's not it's not sexy. It's not fun. Like if you listen to my team meetings, bro, they're, they're not it's not sexy. You know, I'm, but my life is good because of it. Right. Yeah. So I think as I said, I you see this a lot even with like a lot of um, the e-commerce people, they get into e-commerce because they think you know, it's, it's sexy. And even I've seen this, I see this a lot with um, even my friends that have then gone on to or run successful agencies. They get to, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, sometimes even 100,000 a month. That's profit though. In agency world, we exclusively speak profit because nothing else matters. Um, and they get to that point and then they see the e-com guys. And it's funny because the agency guys see the e-com guys and the agency guys want what the e-com guys have and the e-com guys want what the agency guys have because the e-com guys are all, 
I mean, look, there's some outliers, but the e-com guys are all flat broke. They got no money, right? Because the thing, if they're running tr sort of traditional e-commerce businesses, right? Because you have to, f if you want to improve your margins and that has, a uh, you know, that business has a notoriously low margins, then, you know, you're going to want to uh, sort of negotiate good uh, terms with your suppliers. And a lot of times that involves fronting a lot a lot of money ahead of time you know unless you're gymshark and you negotiate you can negotiate some of the crazy yeah. the crazy terms that they can negotiate um you know a lot of these guys they don't have a lot of money you know i was having lunch with my friends yesterday you know i won't say his name but his company is you know worth multiple eight figures probably at this point even nine figure territory yeah they do it yeah easily they you know they do eight figures a year you know i'm about to see um you know a very well-known e-commerce entrepreneur tomorrow uh for dinner and I mean, dude, the guy does like 30 million a year, right? But most people don't realize what comes with that. That comes with very, very little profit at the time because I said you have to, you're having to reinvest everything back into the business. So e-commerce guys want what agency has, which is free cash flow, and then agency guys want what e-commerce have, uh, the e-commerce guys have, which is sort of like a cool business because like, the agency is not cool in the slightest. And as I said, I see this with my friends where they'll hit 20, 30K a month and, you know, they'll be like, oh, I want to start e-commerce brand. And I always have to remind them, I'm like, look, even at my agency, our most successful e-commerce clients sell stuff like glow-in-the-dark teddy bears, sell stuff like um, radio devices. The, everyone has this idea of e-commerce, like, oh, I'm going to get into e-commerce and I'm going to start the next jewelry line. Or I'm going to start the next successful clothing yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. You're not. If you're going to make millions and millions and millions and millions in e-commerce, you're going to sell some weird fucking product that if you're at a dinner party and someone says, oh, what do you do for a living? You don't want to say that you sell glow-in-the-dark teddy bears. And that's what everyone has. Is, like, that's the reality of yeah. the successful e-commerce. Like, the ones that do really well, you know, you even had um, uh, Davey... Uh, Davey Fogarty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, like, that's not the coolest business to say that you own, right? Like First he, ever podcast. But Davey's first ever podcast, too. Yeah, that's... That was, it's yeah. good you backed him. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and... As I said, everyone has this idea that, oh, I'm going to start the next whatever cool e-commerce brand. I got a mate. mate that sells colored sand, mate. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> colored sand, but but if colored sand makes money, then who cares? Then who cares? Make make your business practical, and then your life can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, no, I love and people that. just need to focus on practicality. I love it because what you said is so true. Because my dad, the one thing my dad did tell me when I was younger that is that's always rung true is like, you know, boring businesses and boring things make money. Like pick like waste management is boring, but you're always going to need waste management, right? Yep. So you always so waste management businesses earn and, a lot, and, a lot and they're more recession proof. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of people are going to struggle in the next one to two years, and it's already starting to happen. But like a lot of these fluffy businesses, they're really going to struggle, and especially like I've even seen in the software game. You know, obviously that's at the moment that's my big focus, and you know that's really where most of my time and attention is going. And bro, like we're you know me and my co-founder we're we're bootstrapped. You know, and we have an insane valuation. You know, we launched publicly in, in February and we've already had an eight-figure offer, and which we turned down uh, because we know we're going to sell the com company for hundreds of millions in the next three to five years. And that's because we're, we're we were practical from day one. We never Because your software company delivers services for agencies, right? Uh, basically, the software is an all-in-one platform for agency owners, right? So it's uh, rather than having to use Slack, Asana, uh, simple invoices, um, a pipe drive, rather than having to use all of these tools and have six different tabs open, it all congregates into one tool, right? So you manage your team, you manage your clients, you manage everything in one platform, agency flow. And uh, it's made specifically for online boutique agencies, Yeah. right? So we tell people like, hey, if you have 20 employees, 30 employees, don't use us. 
If you have traditional sort of large scale agency, don't use us. We're specifically targeting the sort of businesses that, uh, you know, we were, uh, you know, the sort of businesses that I helped cultivate in my e-learning company, which is online boutique, uh, very niche agencies. So I could just take agency flow and just drop it into content removal. Yeah, and 100%. Provi providing I don't go past 30 staff or anything like that, we're, we're sweet. You can manage all the I clients. mean, look, you could, you could have 30 people on there. There's no issues whatsoever. You could do it. But I just think once you get to a certain level, like it's in the same way, right? At, um, you know, when you first, you know, for sales teams that have, you know, maybe it's just a founder, you know, maybe it's just a founder or one extra sales rep and that's it. Just use Pipedrive, you know, use Trello if you even want, you know, use Google, you know, you can get creative, but once you get to like, you know, a large, large sales team, you know, like even at the e-learning company, we have a large sales team and we have setters and we have, you know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to go into it. So for that, we use more advanced solutions like Close, right? Or you use Close, you use HubSpot or whatever. So the point is there's a tool for everyone at their current stage. So you could use it even if you had 30 employees. I just think at that point, you want to use something that with more advanced yeah, yeah, features. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. No, no, I see what you're saying. But in in, in relation to, I love the, I love the way that you've done that as well because when you've when you've gone and built this agency, which is this boring business that, mm -hmm. that turns over free cash flow, like you say, which is the best mm -hmm. thing about an agency is the fact mm -hmm. that you can you know you, you your outgoings could be a thousand dollars a month and you could turn ten grand. So it's mm -hmm. like really really highly profitable event an agency. But what you've done is from doing that and you're experiencing that. That's when you pivoted to, to software as a service mm -hmm. because you could see what's needed because you've experienced it long enough before but a lot of people are trying to start software off the bat before knowing the need in the marketplace yeah. right mm -hmm. is, is that a lot of what you see yeah i mean look what do formula one drivers start off with go-karts right like if you want to become a world-class formula one driver you don't hop in a you know you don't you don't go straight into form, uh, driving formula one cars you go into go-karts then you go into whatever you work your way up the ranks Right, and it, it's it's kind of the same thing when it comes to um, you know starting a business. It's you don't want to start a a super difficult business right off the bat. Another thing is you know if you wanted to start, for example, my software company, you're gonna need a lot of money. And you know this is even sometimes my issue with um, definitely my issue with people who say, oh, you should get into real estate, or you should get into trading, or you should sometimes even get into e-commerce. It's like, dude, you can very very easily burn you know, $1,500 in ads just to validate a product to find out the product doesn't work. And now you're down 1500 just to find out that the product doesn't work and you need to find a new product. You know, so it's it's a scary proposition in the same way, you know, you can very easily lose $2,000, you know, trying, trying to trade crypto, lose the 2000. Yeah. And it, like you want to, for me, when you're first starting a business, you I th believe you should start a business where you can fall, scrape your knees, get no's, get losses. And, and there's no downside. You want something with as much upside with as little downside. You basically almost want to be, you know, bowling with the with the bumpers on the side, right? And unfortunately, a lot of people try to get into more difficult businesses with a lot of potential downside, and they get burned. Yeah, because I think what you're saying as well is, with an agency model, you can literally have your laptop. Mm -hmm. You can go anywhere in the world. You can fly to Bali, fly to Thailand, to start your agency if you mm -hmm. wanted to. If you want to bring your costs associated with starting if you now. Bali, because I, you know, I give this advice to people a lot. Bali, I mean, you you can. I don't recommend Bali. Places like Cape Town, places like um, Medellin, stuff like just because of time zones, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, right. bro, if you've, I've, I've done it before. I'm, you know, I've been, when I had my agency, I've, I've been to Bali for two months, and it was just a nightmare trying to, you know, deal with, uh, you know, sales calls and stuff like that. 
yeah time zone is, is so what what, what are what are your top five countries then in order for set so if you so if someone out there is like you know what i've got a little bit of money i've got my buffer stacked in the bank mm -hmm. i want to go out and start my own thing i'm going to start this agency i'm going to do social media ads i'm going to do e-com ads on mm -hmm. on social or whatever, whatever they're going to do they figure out what they're going to do they, they pack their laptop in the bag where would you go to in order around the world to locate yourself so they can okay, just start I, to build I go, this I go to places like cape town i'd go to places like um you know, anywhere in Europe, more the Eastern European side of things. So I said, places like uh, Cape Town, um, Romania, Georgia, um, uh, places in South America, certain places in South America, uh, Colombia, um, Brazil, if you want, like really just take your pick. But the great thing about these places, you're going to spend half as much money and you're going to get a much better quality of life. So instantly, just by making that decision, you're already earning twice as much money because you've got all your costs down yeah. and then you can obviously try and scale and stuff like that. What do you think is the is the one thing that that stops most people from from having that abundant success in their life? Be, you know, that we see a lot of people on social media that that hate living in hate their life living in England working a job or hate mm -hmm. their life in Australia working a job or hate their life in America working a job. What is the what is the one thing that you find holds those people back? I mean, it, it, there's no one thing. It's 101 different things. Maybe they're watching the news. You know, maybe they're watching the news. Maybe they're, I mean, your YouTube subscription box says a lot about a person. Maybe their YouTube subscription box is some fucking idiots, right? Maybe they're, I mean, if you have TikTok on your phone, I'm, I, look, I will say, I, I thought the same thing about Twitter. I thought Twitter was the stupidest thing ever. And then I got on Twitter and I'm like, oh, actually, there's some very, very intelligent people here. So, you know, I've, I've heard the same thing, you know, even like my co-founder of my software company, he adores uh, TikTok. You know, he's like, actually, there's some great pockets of info in there. But just in general, the point is like, it's not so much what people need to do, it's what they need to stop doing. And they're, you know, most people are just getting fucked by in every single angle. You know, it, foods they're eating, um, people they're associating with, uh, things they're taking in, drinking soy milk, y you name it. They're getting fucked on <laughs> every single angle, you know. <laughs> soy um, milk. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, they become soy boys and then they become estrogenic and they wonder why, you know, they don't have enough energy to get up and conquer. Do you, do you know what, right? The the the, the videos that, that hit it most for me from you in the early days is when you talk about monk mode mm -hmm. and you talk about going into this mode where, you know, you shut out all the noise, all the dopamine hits, you know, you nail your sleep, all this stuff. Just in terms of like, obviously those videos are wildly successful, but talk to me about your process of c coming across and, and refining monk mode and what monk mode was for you. So I think like I didn't really have a clear-cut sort of okay i'm doing monk mode until basically uh the world shut down you know march or april of 2020 and I, I was stuck in cape town so you know basically everything was happening and i was in cape town at the time and you know my you know my mom was like oh maybe you should come back blah blah and i'm like walking on the beach and they're telling me like uk is like london shut down and people are staying in their house i'm like yeah yeah cool like i'm fine i'm, I'm cool here so then i stayed in cape town and i was with um uh, pete who was one of my good friends at the time uh, and uh, actually ended up being uh, my co-founder of my NFT project. And uh, yeah, basically I just made the decision, you know, I'm gonna stay in Cape Town. And Cape Town was, sort of South Africa was very, very rough uh, with how sort of tyrannical they were. Um, like you couldn't buy any alcohol, you know, you couldn't buy any cigarettes. I mean, I don't smoke cigarettes anyways, but you couldn't buy alcohol, couldn't buy cigarettes. Um, uh, you couldn't, um, you couldn't leave your house even for a walk, uh, only to go to the supermarket. So it was in that period where everything got sort of stripped away that I'm like, okay, you know, what? I'm just gonna do and and, and uh, you know, that's really when I went 
that's when I had some more peace in my life. That was an example of a time where right, I had more yeah, peace yeah, and when yeah, I had yeah. more peace and I could really sort of um, do more introspection, right? And uh, that's kind of where monk mode came about and so, I realized how powerful it was. So I decided the next time around that I went to Cape Town, I would do the same thing. Uh, even though things were open, I decided, okay, you know, for the next six weeks, um, no alcohol, uh, no alcohol, um, only uh, 45 minutes of screen time on my phone a day. Uh, so 45 minutes screen time, uh, a prey once uh, once a day, and then I did strict carnivore diet. Yeah, yeah. How did you how did you decide though those four things specifically? Is that because you know one obviously the carnivore diets for your body? Mm -hmm. Is it is there any obviously there's training in monk mode as well? Yes. So here's what it is. So you, when when I actually give people the monk mode protocol, I always say at least 15 minutes of meditation a day. Um, 15 minutes of meditation, like the most important things are the 15 minutes of meditation a day and, um, uh, and, and what's it called, uh, screen time. And then also, um, uh, what's it called getting exercise. But for me, like exercise is not an issue. Like I don't need to put that in my monk mode protocol. Whereas for other people getting exercise is tough for me getting, not getting exercise is tough. Yeah. You know, I'm sure it's the same thing with you yeah, like, yeah, yeah. because it's such an like, it's ingrained in me. It, yeah. It's ingrained in you at this point. So for you, not training is harder than training. You know, uh, so that's why for me, I just, I didn't include in mine. Cause for me, like exercise is kind of a given where there are certain habits that kind of slips away some, you know, uh, screen time, you know, it can get out of hand very, very quickly on your phone. Um, you know, even things like meditation, there have been periods where, you know, I don't meditate for two, three weeks and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, you, I, you I, feel, yeah, yeah, you do, you do, you do feel it. Like it, it, I didn't realize that until, the, until literally maybe three days ago that you have to have a a set of protocols for how you operate in certain areas like mm. how i operate in australia is different to how i operate in the uk right mm. but i have a framework to work from mm. in in australia and I, yes. it works very well for me when i came to the uk i didn't have that framework for like the first six weeks and mm. it was just like i wasn't grounded so to speak i haven't grounded myself into the place mm. i think you've got to have a set of protocols for each place that you're in i presume that's I that yeah 100 percent. and this is also why like a lot of people want to do like laptop lifestyle you know every four or five days i'm on i'm on the move to a new city no chance no you're, you're messing yourself up so much like you know the do the laptop lifestyle if you want and you know be a nomad and whatnot but go to places for six to eight weeks I'll, six eight yeah. twelve weeks slow mad yeah, slow man. That's exactly that's <laughs> it, the one. It is slow man. Like because I was thinking about I want to travel more and do the podcast and travel more and mm -hmm. meet people like yourself and go to Dubai and all this stuff. But I'm not going for any less than three months anymore. Yeah. Because that that you have to you know say I go to Portugal tomorrow and I mm -hmm. arrive in Portugal and then uh, I got to find out where the Wi-Fi is and I got to the good Wi-Fi because mm -hmm. you know half the Wi-Fi is shit. It's like you, you're not guaranteed anything, are you, when you yeah. go to these places? So you can't have a protocol. I'm, I'm, living out of suitcases horrendous horrible yeah i don't know why anyone would want to do it but you when you're in monk mode celibacy is that celibate as well yeah i mean so that's the other thing like uh you know i include is like it look if you have a, a girlfriend or something like that then that's a different story uh but no touching yourself definitely no touch because there's a big difference between you know having sex with a person you care about uh, compared to you know, so so, so 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 no so no, like you literally like ban all like masturbation everything like yeah no chance I mean masturbation as a whole is horrific right yeah. porn like look there's a sliding scale the worst is porn and masturbation then below that is like I don't know uh, you know masturbation with imagination that can actually be good for some some guys because you know uh, there's a lot of sexual teachers out there that you can actually learn a lot by touching yourself 
but doing it in a uh, yeah with intention right and then you go down a sliding scale and then you know below that is you know sex with a person and then you know the best thing is sex with a person that you actually care about yeah yeah so no but I, I want you to talk into that because i think a lot of men don't understand how much fucking time is wasted in the pursuit of sexual gratification yeah 100 percent. like you, when when i went celibate for 100 days mm -hmm. It was, I took my podcast in Australia at the time from like number 91 to number five in the category mm -hmm. because of how much, you know, I was just dialed in, on, yeah. uh, dialed in on the on the actual process and just creating content. There was no distractions. You're not texting. You're not, you're not DMing on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to slide in, in, in physically or, <laughs> or, or, or mentally speaking. Like, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? There's a, there's, that frees you up. And when yeah. you're freed up, you can operate on a whole different level. I think everyone should do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, sexual energy is the most powerful energy that a man has. And most guys just waste it into a tissue, you know, so. Well, I was reading a study on on on, on semen retention, right? Because mm -hmm. everyone was talking about this semen retention as a, as a topic because it, mm -hmm. it was like the in topic. And sexual energy is, is, is your creative space. Yeah, 100%. And by holding that within you as a, as a man, you can get more creative and get more you, you, you have clearer clarity of thought mm. and everything happens more for you mm. like a lot of the breathwork major breathwork teachers practice it and all that stuff i mean as a as a guide for 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 young lads listening to this that might want to obviously go and start their agency go and do the bits that they're going to do in business would you would you say like 90 to 100 days just just go complete monk mode and get dialed in and because that's that's right. that gives someone a framework to change their life doesn't it I mean, actually, I say for most people do between like uh, 21 to 90 days, like even if you do that for three weeks, because like, that it's already quite intense at that point for some people. So even if you do it for three weeks, it'd be quite powerful. But I also don't recommend anything more than 90 days because you'll go crazy. Right. So I monk mode, is so, it's, it's a period that you do. And then after yeah. that, you know, you can uh, blow off some steam and then you can go into another period if you want. But yeah. How long is your blow off steam period for you? It depends. It depends what I'm doing. You know, sometimes, you know, before it's been three or four days. Sometimes it's like, okay, now it's my blow off period's four months. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. environment is everything. That's the thing. Like, I'm not going to do monk mode in London. Like, no chance in hell. Like, it's too, it's too difficult for me to do monk mode in London because I have so many, you know, I have so many distractions in terms of, you know, friends, girls, this, that. Like, it's the environment weighs on you, right? In the same way, I live in Dubai and Dubai doing monk mode, for example, in December, January, uh, January, February is impossible because everyone comes to Dubai, you know, December, January, Feb, everyone comes to Dubai to visit me or, to, or sorry, to visit. And the thing is, I live there. So I'm just living my day to day life, whereas everyone's yeah. going on vacation or it's like a trip or this or that. And dude, every every week it's 10 old business associates, uh, acquaintances, friends, old flings, whatever it is, right? And there's a lot of distraction there. So it's very difficult. So just having enough self-awareness, whereas that's one of the reasons I have a house in Cape Town, because for me, it's just a, such a good place to get away, away from the distractions, away from everything. And when I'm in Cape Town, that's when I do monk mode. Where, where would you reckon would be a good place for me to go do monk mode? I mean, I personally love Cape Town, but as I said, any it, it depends where you, you are. You're just, you're just basically saying physically change your environment to yeah. change your state. Yeah, because also the other thing is it depends if you're doing monk mode in uh, November, December. In that case, I'd say don't go to Georgia. But maybe if you go to Georgia in, you know, September, uh, if, maybe if you go to Georgia in April, May, that might be a good time. So it, it all depends on the season as well. Obviously, with Cape Town, one of the things I like is it's reverse seasons. So their summer is in 
you know, November, December, January, Feb, yeah. around that period. I mean, it's always pretty nice in Cape Town, but. But essentially what you're saying to people is change your environment if you want to change your state. And then that's kind of. It's, it's the easiest way. And here's the thing, you know, for some people listening to this, they're like, okay, cool. I live at home with my mom in Acton. It's not practical for me to fly to, you know, some tropical location or, so, you know, some other place to improve my environment. That's fine. Just work with what you have. I, th I think most people, um, from what I've seen in Australia and the UK myself, it's like most people think that they can't do things. That's because they're holding on to too many things that they don't need in their life, you mm. know, and usually materialistic things like mm. cars, watches, other stuff that they have to sell. Like people think that they can't afford to leave for argument's sake, but if they just sold their shit, mm. they could just go and do whatever they actually wanted to life. Mm. I've kind of figured out as I've gone on that the, the secret is less, not more. Yeah. Like the secret is always less. Because like as soon as you've got more stuff, you've got more things to worry about. Like I'm worrying about at the moment, you know, I'm not worrying about it, but it's like, it's, in, it's always going to be in the back of my mind that I've got a, a property over in Australia that I'm paying for. I've got this, I've got, because that's mm. that. If I leave that door open and I've got doors open over here, that's mental real estate. You're playing yeah, it, right? 100%. It's like, you've got you to curate how much you're thinking about and free, free that, thinking space so that you can go and do these things mm. that you're saying but if you want my advice sell your shit and get and and go and and go and you know sell your shit and then go and go and go and do this for three or four months and see how much you change your life because if you've ever dreamt about starting a business and all this stuff if you what instead of dreaming about it why don't you just take his advice and, <laughs> and go and go and do a monk mode for even just three weeks even mm. just three weeks in europe like you can get a, you can get a package holiday for like one thousand five hundred pounds. Mm. You, you can do it. Like it's, it's just it's just yeah. I'm 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 passionate about telling you that because I I've seen I've seen how much just a period of even just celibacy mm. just can just really give you so much clarity as a man, mm. especially for men because men are fucking we're everywhere. We're fucking our eyes are popping off all over the shop. I think hundred percent. Like uh, yeah, but um, in relation to you going to Dubai, mm. what was the key driver in that? Just just everything that was happening in the in the in yeah the... I didn't I didn't like what was happening with the tyrannical all the tyrannical stuff in the UK um, for me once the government tells me I can't leave my house that's it like I'm done mm. um, and it's I, I don't know, it's, it's such a it's such a long broad topic but I looked at at the time when I made the decision which was um, January of 2021 I looked at everything that was going on and I was like. UK is not going in the right direction. What place are going in the right direction? I know that a lot of people have like some, you know, moral issues with, you know, uh, how the inception of Dubai and, you know, uh, labor and this and that and whatever. It's 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 a very complicated discussion, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, these are also the same people that, you know, um, won't acknowledge the fact that, you know, their government is quite literally the most evil organization on earth. And they start, you know, they go to foreign countries to bring peace to countries that don't need their peace. That's also one of the other reasons. You know, I'm at a stage right now where you never once you get to a certain level and as long as you get to control your income and uh, basically as long as it's not earned income from a career, like if you're a footballer, there's nothing you can really do about your taxes. Right. Obviously, you can take that money and once it becomes, you know, uh, net, then you can play around and do some stuff. But especially if you have a business, uh, your business owner, you get to a certain point where you never need to pay taxes ever again, no matter where you live. Right. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't even so much taxes. It was more. um just I don't know like I was just disgusted I was just disgusted by the UK government and funnily enough UK ended up being one of the best places and I was super proud of like the way they remove all the you know the vax passes and they were kind of like one of the best countries to actually be in 
sort of from mid 2021 onwards. Um, and yeah, but just when I made the decision, the UK was tyrannical and it was just like, you know, COVID just made me really sad. Like it was just really sad to see the way that, you know, people just gave up all their freedoms. And it, um, yeah, I just, I was very disgusted by the UK when I made the decision. Um, and I looked at, you know, where in the world is kind of progressing. And, you know, I know there's some people will debate otherwise, but Dubai in general is, is going in the right direction. In the same way you even look at America, Miami is going in the right direction because, and for me, the right direction is like, don't piss off the rich people. Don't piss off wealthy people because everyone wants to demonize wealthy people. But no, the wealthy people are the people who actually create all the jobs. You know, what, people think that people mistake wealthy people to the bankers. Like bankers are scum, full stop. Like I, I despise bankers, right? I despise bankers. I despise anyone who works in government because it's the biggest uh, criminal organization on earth. But don't try to demonize wealthy people. Like who, like as much as people think, you know, oh, the rich people step on toes or whatever, this or that. No, like you can get away with that for a year, 18 months, and then you get found out. You know, the wealthy people are the people who create the jobs and they have to provide value because they live in a free market. So, um, yeah, I just looked at the way that sort of Dubai was headed and I was like, for this season of life, it, you know, it makes sense. And just going out there and structuring yourself better obviously must have a massive tax benefit. I mean, yes, yes and no, but as... Uh, said like look if you're making a million a year or something it's gonna be massive benefit but once you get to sort of the level that i only reached that level really in 2021 uh and and now in 2022 but once you get to a certain level like look when i come back to uk i'll never pay tax ever again because the the tax code is written in a way where you know it's i mean there's 101 different ways to do it but you know one of the easiest ways is uh you just take a loan against your asset and loans yeah, aren't taxable yeah, yeah, yeah so it's it's you know the very wealthy people who live in the uk aren't actually paying yeah, and, you know, and, and aren't paying any taxes personally, by the way, because because that's the other thing, you know, people are like, oh, but the wealthy people don't ta pay taxes. Yeah, but then look at their companies like you, you you know, look at their companies. There's no way yeah. to get over the corporate tax. There's no way to get over VAT. There's no way to get over, um, uh, you know, all the employer tax they're paying. Right. Yeah. You're getting taxed. On but but they're not going to pay themselves a billion yeah. dollars in income, are they? Yeah, like, but of, of, of course, their personal tax liability, they're trying to get down as much as possible. And of course they should, as as they have every right to. Yeah, 100 percent. Like your 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 job is to is to not avoid, but minimize, minimize as, as, as much as possible. Yeah. And it's just like, of course, if you're a wealthy person and you're and you're you're providing so much value and you're creating so much abundance in this world and then you're doing that and you're you're paying so much tax along the way as well. And you're going through so many loopholes and stuff like that. You have to jump through so many hoops. And then everyone else is like, you're not paying your fair share. Look, as I said, I'm, you know, my mom, she worked for the NHS. We're on government benefits at some point. Like I'm not, I don't come from wealth. I was either weird childhood, as I said, where I was around wealth, but I, you know, we don't come from wealth, right? But even at our, you know, even at our early, and once again, maybe that's also because my mom's the youngest of seven, you know, from Soviet Union. Like she would look at like people who complained and she, it, it just, I look, I look at certain people who complain in the US or the UK and it's just, it's disgusting, you know, um, it's disgusting. And they just want to uh, throw their problems at the wealthy people and say, oh, you know, villainize the rich and stuff like that. When we were dirt poor, you know, when we were on government benefits, we never villainized the wealthy people. We understood, you know, they really are the ones who give the opportunity to everyone else. 
Well, the, the amount of risk that someone who has supposed quote unquote wealth has had to take in order to create that wealth, it's like, you know, that people forget that that person's had to remortgage their home at some point. That mm. person's had to, you know, probably not took a wage for the first three years of their business, you mm. know, not even 50 grand a year, not even mm. 20 grand a year, you know, mm. not even not even 15 grand a year. Some mm. of these people some have had to plumb it all back into the business. Mm. And that's what you have to do. And then if if if. 10, five, 10 years down the track, now that business is making mm -hmm. multiple millions and they decide to to take dividends and the dividends aren't taxed at a rate of income, and then what's the problem? Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? No, as I said, I, I, look, I do have mm. an issues with, I do have an issue with the bankers or not really companies or businesses. I'm talking like big corporations. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, look, some of the corporations are just the most evil people on earth. Um, you know, uh, even if you look at like, some of the big corporations, corporations I understand, but that's I'm not angry at them about their tax liability. I'm, uh, it's more the fact like what they're doing. Yeah, like they they know they're ruining a civilization, and a lot of times you know that's that's one of their intentions. So well, well, all all the big tech companies are all just designed to take away the attention mm -hmm. from what we should all be putting our attention on. We should be putting our attention on building relationships with our families, we should be putting attention on building better businesses for ourselves, building better, you know, cash flowing businesses. Like, mm. We should be putting attention into that, not attention into consuming content on Instagram, mm. consuming content on TikTok, you know, mm. consuming the wrong content on YouTube. I mean, YouTube's great content engine, but if you can, you can, you can consume the right shit and you can consume the wrong shit. Mm. You can also consume too much of everything. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like if someone went and watched 87 hours of your videos, but to no fucking action, what's the point of consuming the content, 100%. right? Like, you know, there's, a, you gotta know what, what game you're playing. And I think a lot of people are playing the wrong game. Mm. In terms of like, what's in, like up for you for the next like, you know, year or so, mm. I presume you're absolutely gonna send it on a whole different stratosphere. Um, the NFT project being one of these things, mm. what's, what's your plans for LC? So right now we, um, the main thing that we're working on is a concierge service. When I say we're working on, I mean, I said, you know, uh, unfortunately, under NDA, we can't disclose the actual company, but um, we partnered up and oh, man, I don't know how we managed to get that partnership, but we partnered up with the most powerful concierge service on earth. Um, it's a, a private membership service, a private membership, a concierge service. So um, you basically have to apply and, you know, if you're selected, basically, I actually heard about him first from uh, my co-founder uh, who's Swiss and, you know, his network is insane. He's had many friends sell their company for multiple eight, multiple nine, even uh, 10 figures. And uh, yeah, uh, on that note, he was telling me about, you know, this super powerful concierge service and this and that. Um, and actually, funny enough, I actually applied uh, to be a member back in uh, December and um, just, they never accepted me. And uh, and now you're getting it provided for your own NFT potentially. And yeah, I mean, not potentially, it's it's done. It's done, yeah, deal's so, done. So, so we're, we partnered up with them. The app is launching in three, four months. Um, like our own, basically you'll go on the app store, it'll be Jens Croquet Club concierge service, uh, like Jens Croquet Club concierge. So anyone who's a GCC member can download that and they'll have, I mean, anyone can download it. You just won't be able to access any of the features. Uh, and then anyone who has GCC will basically be able to be ported into that. Whereas like I said, I like to think, I like to think I'm an important person. And, you know, I walk into uh, Patek Philippe or Rolex or this, uh, you know, I, I have great relationships with all the brands, all, you know, whatever membership I want, I get. Uh, and I didn't even get accepted for, for you know, this uh, concierge service because you have to apply. Um, and yeah, now our GCC members don't have to, you know, apply with potentially a 2% chance or 
a less than a one percent chance of getting actually actually far less than one percent but you know less than a one percent chance of getting accepted they get it because they're gcc members and we form this partnership so that's just one of the things that we're working on so you know what is a concierge service basically they'll be on the app and i mean i was even test driving it last month everything from you know private jets because normally if you're you know you're flying private you're dealing with a broker and obviously they're going to take a little percentage on top so you know for example you know i was dealing with my broker and getting quotes of for a flight you know twenty two thousand pounds you know uh, with our concierge service getting quoted 16 for the exact same aircraft and the exact same um leg so you know stuff like that um stuff like you know there's uh you know handbags uh, that i liked uh, the look of so you know I, I sent it to concierge service because you know uh, they didn't have it uh, available at Chanel or hermes uh, so i told them this is the one i want because they have partnerships with all these brands and um, they were like cool charge it to your amex it'll be there in two days you know uh, for my mom in dubai um so stuff like that or you know as you know i have an amazing assistant and um <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I, yeah I, I have a lovely assistant amara and um you know she knows sort of the restaurants i like and stuff like that and you know i'll tell her you know i need dinner for two people tomorrow at 9 p.m um you know and she'll call up some of our places or some of my favorite spots and she'll be like look you know nothing available then she'll go on the concierge app because on the concierge app you can port in your assistant as well um she'll go on there and then some you know I've had it before where like the busiest, busiest restaurants in London, uh, within one hour notice, they're like, yeah, we kicked someone off the table. So yeah, it's, a, it's pr pretty, pretty cool. And and what made you put that into a, like an NFT type thing? Because obviously NFTs are, are one of these. NFTs are a scam. Like 99.9% yeah. .9 of NFTs are a scam. Yeah. Yeah, they're just a money grab. Um, why? Because I believe there's certain things, like I don't believe, I don't think I have an NFT business. That's like saying like, yeah, yeah, like, look, sure, you have a software company, but the thing is, you're, you, what you're, you have a, a software is an umbrella, it's a type of business, right? Yeah. But your what your company still solves a problem, right? An e-commerce company is a type of business, but at the end of the day, it's still whatever the product is, right? And it's the same with NFT. People think, oh, I have an NFT company. No, for me, NFT is just a uh, pricing model, right? It's it's a pricing model where you decided, hey, I'm going to charge more upfront than potentially I would, uh, you know, if it was recurring or whatever. And I'm going to, I have so much belief in the product that when it sells, uh, you know, when it sells for, you know, or at least in our case, substantially more than, you know, we initially sold it for, we get a percentage of the royalties, right? So we get, in, anytime someone sells uh, the NFT, we get eight and a half percent, right? So, yeah, I mean, at some point after launching, it was, worth eight times as much you know the floor was eight times i think now it's whatever whatever uh, two two and a half three times floor right because we're in a yeah pretty brutal uh, market at the <laughs> yeah, moment yeah. and nft volumes are at all-time lows but then again that's a testament to what we've done where you know even though nft volumes are all-time lows our project is still holding up you know very very solid and that's before we roll out a lot of the main main key features so, so essentially what you're saying is most nfts in the way that they used or a scam, but the NFT function in itself is very powerful. Yeah, is very powerful and allows you to have this, you know, really tight, smart contracted system that allows you to see who your members are, who yeah, has access. Because what it is, it's basically like, and for certain businesses, they make sense. For certain businesses, they don't. Right. For example, my software company, it doesn't make sense for that to be an NFT because it it makes sense that it's a monthly subscription, right? Whereas when it comes to memberships. I believe those should be NFTs because I believe your seat at the table should be an asset, right? So let's say, for example, you know, at um, 
whatever, let's say Annabelle is here in London, uh, you know, I don't know the actual numbers, but let's say 5,000 members where, you know, at Annabelle's and then let's say at, um, you know, let's say uh, uh, a place called Kicks, you know, I was a member of that too, uh, which is, you know, it was like 10,000 pounds, which basically, it was basically just a gym, right? A gym, members club, um, you know, they're allowed uh, X amount of people a year, right? When I left Kicks, because obviously it doesn't make sense for me to have that membership anymore, or any of the other memberships, I'm only in London, less than 45 days a year. When I gave that up, I just stopped paying the fee, but that's it, right? Whereas if I left, I could have been like, okay, I'm selling my spot, yeah. you know, one of a thousand spots, because they can only hold a certain amount of members. I'm selling one of the thousand so spots. So you've bought an asset. So yeah. I'm actually, I, my seat at the table is an asset. And I think for masterminds that, you know, in the same way, there's $50,000 masterminds. When I leave that mastermind, I believe, you know, they're just gonna sell my spot on to someone mm. else. Whereas I believe my seat at the table should be an asset and I should then be able to sell that on. This this, this, this is what I wanna create with an NFT is to have a, a, a mastermind group with people mm. like yourself in it where everyone's paying a high fee to be in it because mm. they're surrounded by greatness in the in the mastermind it's like mm. and the, you know and it holds the value of the the ticket because of who you're surrounded with because it's mm. essentially what what kicks is down the road here is the fact like you it's only worth it's ten thousand pound fee because mm -hmm. not for the facility itself but mm -hmm. for the actual people that are in the facility that you can yeah, meet. i mean like the sort of person who's paying 10k a year for gym by the way the funniest the funniest thing is when i lived in london because i was legitimately 30 seconds away from kicks Right when I was uh, when I was in London when I was living in London, I had a membership at Kicks, but I didn't even use the gym. I went to Pure Gym, like in you know where I lived in Knightsbridge, South Kensington area. Like, there's no really good gyms around, so my option was Kicks or Pure Gym. Kicks had such a horrible this indoor space was so terrible. I didn't even use the gym, but I was still paying 10k a year just for you know the facilities and the people that I was meeting there. Right, because they had a very good meeting like a restaurant meeting yeah. area stuff yeah. like that. So, you know, everyone there kind of became like almost family to me and stuff like that. Well, it pre-qualifies them to be someone that you, you kind of want to be associated with because yeah. they've had to pay a 10,000 fee before they've even walked through the door. Yeah, a year. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's mad how those, because at the end of the day, it's all about who you're surrounded with. Mm. It's all about who you're surrounded with. So in places, by putting yourself into Gents Croquet Club and mm. stuff like that, you are surrounding yourself. My mate Lester's got one of your NFTs. Mm. I've not got one. I was looking at the floor price the other day. I think it's what, 0. 0. 0.7 are we at? No, I mean, that, now it's a 6, 6.5. 6.5? Yeah, bro. At some point it went up to 16. Yeah, at some point our one NFT was worth $50,000. That's mental. Yeah, I mean, and that's... and by the, What did you mint them at? What, what, what did they mint at? $4,500. So some, at some point people... Or no, it wasn't... Sorry. It there's was, only 700 though, isn't there? Uh, there's 975, but there's 700 members. Because the other thing is, you know, you know, at some members clubs, they let anyone in. We had to do, you had to do a video call application and explain to us in detail why you should be allowed to give us $5,000. So we had, and that's also removes people with ego. Cause the worst thing is, man, like I've met a lot of wealthy people that think just cause they're wealthy, you they know, they're, do they're the dogs bollocks. And you know, they're just cause you're wealthy doesn't mean you're an interesting person. And I have a rule, I, I just, don't, I don't like lame people. It's, I even have a rule in my company. Like I've fired people before. Uh, well, not necessarily fired, basically, I always say at my companies, you either work at the company for 60 days or six years, right? We do like a 60 day probation. And I have literally let go of people who are great at their job just because I think they're lame. Because I don't, I if I brought them to Nepal, to the schools that we're building, you know, we're going in November, I'm taking 10 of my team to visit uh, our four completed projects and the new projects that we're working on. If I take them there, they're not, I just don't want to have a beer with them. There's no, you know, there's no yeah, matter how good you are. Yeah, if, you're, yeah. if you're lame for me personally, 
and you know you can't do this with big corporations and stuff like that but you know even at our scale which is you know between all the companies it's man we're hiring quick between the companies i think it's 60 70 right um but even at, at that scale like still uh, my, my rule is just no lame people so that's why even at, at gcc you know or even for example when you apply to arts club or uh, annabelle's or something like for me i think it's much better if not only do you write your credentials and what you know uh what art associations you're a member of and this and that like no you actually have to sit down and you have to do a multiple step process where you sit down face to face and they ask you real human questions to figure out are you basically a, a twat and if you're a twat you don't get lit in and that's what we did at gcc you had to do a video call and you know a lot of people were like oh you can't make people do video calls some people want to be anonymous i'm like cool if you want to be anonymous then fuck off go to a different project i don't care you know like yeah. you're i because i knew i knew we were giving people free money from day one like i i just you know the, my project my audience stuff like that like i knew it was gonna be free money so i'm like if i'm gonna give someone free money they better be a cool person if they're not a cool person i don't want someone making money off my you know and bear in mind you know we have one of the lowest sell rates of any project out there um but of course inevitably some people are gonna sell um so yeah you know um so right now for me good mm -hmm. investment or bad investment uh, I'd say right now, actually, with NFT uh, volume and absolute lows and everything that we're going to launch with a concierge service, um, bear in mind everything that you get now as well. Like, you know, we, we spent a lot of money on a custom platform, so it auth authenticates with your MetaMask. So when the NFT is in your MetaMask, then you log into the vault. We've got a vault at GCC. And in there, we've got courses on how to buy watches at retail, how to, um, you know, we've got some stuff rolling on uh, coming out from um, a cigar sommeliers, wine sommeliers. Basically, I, I wanted to do a thing that basically I wanted to create a, a mastermind in a community where it teaches people how to be gentlemen, right? And that sounds ridiculous, but like, dude, like I didn't come from money and I remember what it was like, you know, being 18, 19, you know, going on a date and having absolutely no idea what the difference is between a Sauvignon Blanc or, or a Chablis or the difference between a, you know, a Pinot Noir and a, a Merlot. And once you get into certain circles, like you, you don't need to be an expert at all this stuff, but like you, you should be able to hold yourself. And as I said, like I'm new money, you know, I'm new money. So I had to learn these things. Right. And I had to learn how to conduct myself in, and you know, like even just little things like, dude, I went skiing for the first time ever six months ago. I've never been skiing. And people are like, that's crazy. I'm like, well, I, I didn't grow up with money. Like growing up, at least in the UK, like that's a rich person thing to do. And I, it's not like my mom could afford to send us, you know, my mom's still never even been skiing, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, you log into Vault. There's a bunch of courses on that. Uh, you know, uh, same when it comes to investing. Um, you know, uh, we've got a big course when it comes to um, how to invest in crypto, as a, a how to invest in watches, uh, some social circle stuff, uh, Instagram optimization stuff. So there's basically all these like courses and stuff like that that's available to our members. And then we've also got uh, three reports a week from my personal crypto researcher. And some of the reports, by the way, some of our best reports is don't do anything. Don't buy, don't sell, just don't do anything because we have no indication where the market is going at the moment. So right now, just sit and wait. Um, and uh, outside of that, we're also, it should be rolling out, uh, you know, in the next couple of days. We've also got uh, our Rolodex in there because that's the other issue I find when you go to, um, like even when you go to like Soho House or you go to- You can't, you can't see who else is in there. Yeah, dude, you join, you join, you know, one of these memberships. Um, and you have to physically go to the location and network with other people. And, you know, maybe you missed, maybe the best connection you could have made in the entire place, you missed by a couple days because they went on a business trip or something. And then you guys never actually got to meet each other. Instead, I wonder, I'm like, look, when you join some of these members clubs, why isn't there like a directory? So that way, 
you know, for example, with us on GCC, you log in, you put in all your information, you know, what industry you're in, where in the world you live, um, you know, your Instagram, your Twitter, you know, whatever information you want to put. And there's, you know, 10 or so different inputs that you can uh, actually put on there. And then you decide, do you want to be public or not? Like, do you want to be put on the Rolodex? And if you want to be put on the Rolodex, now our members can go in there and go, okay, out of the 700 members that are in GCC, which ones live in, for example, uh, live in, I live in Buenos Aires. Who else lives in Buenos Aires, right? And then I can then see their Instagram, their Twitter, their this, this, that, rather than, you know, messing around on Telegram or Discord. Oh, who's in Buenos Aires? Let's connect or blah, blah. you yeah. can just see right there. And then you can send them a message on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and reach them on, or, you know, they can even put their email, right? And there you go. You know, now you can actually make those connections. So we, we just want to make things as we want. You've really stacked the value in there, basically. I mean, yeah. And as I said, that's like the other thing is we're, we're purposely trying not to do much marketing right now because we know that once we do marketing, I mean, it's it's really it really is game over. You know, we we're we're trying to roll out all these key features, and then once we have that, as I said, dude, it's um, this will be probably the you know the most historic NFT in this couple year period um, because I th- no, I th- no one's I th- ever done it. I think like for the niche that you're doing it in, it definitely is, and I think Alex Becker also has a one. In yeah, the game, Neo Tokyo. Neo yeah. Tokyo. I think that is going to be worth an absolute monster as well with mm. what he's doing with value trades because I've looked into a lot of that and that's another one I missed out on mm. that I didn't get at, mm. the, at the mint or anything. And mm-hmm. uh, I look back now and I think, fuck. Yeah. Another thing, I sold one of my mutant apes mm-hmm. and uh, that really pisses me off. Why? Because I, cause I, think, I think the Board Ape Yacht Club is a good, obviously you've got four of them, haven't you? Three. Three. Yeah, I bought three. I think that's a I think that's a good community. I bought three. In. I sold two. I kept one. Really? Yeah. I, just, I mean, yeah, but once was, again, what was it? A, what from your experience of being in that the board ape yacht club was it a good? Dude, I bought three board apes. I spent one point two million dollars. I got in, and Collabland, which is you know yeah. you know the tool Collabland wasn't even working. It was down. So I got in there. I tried to. I still have never actually got it into the um, uh, board ape Discord, like the members of Discord. Even to this day, even though I still have one, I've had, uh, you know, a, a board ape or at least one. And I said, I had three. I kept it for like a month or like six weeks or something. Sold two. Um, have, you ever, have you ever thought about using the IP though? The actual, the actual putting the ape on, on things? Because I see a lot of people doing it and they, some of them are making the only, the only ape that I kept is one with a Soviet hat smoking a cigarette. Because I just find it, I find it cute. I find it endearing. Obviously, I'm Russian. Um, I'm not really, I don't consider myself Russian. I don't consider myself British. I consider myself confused. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't. I, I think when you say you're from somewhere, you really have to embody everything about it. Um, so I don't believe I can call myself Russian. I don't believe I can call myself British, even though I lived here for 17 years, uh, and it's the only major sort of passport I hold uh, from like one of the you know the top 10 countries. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, I don't think my so, so basically so basically you drop one you dr- you drop 1.2. Did you make profit on the two that you sold? No, I lost a lot of money, you know. Uh, How much are you talking? A lot on each, maybe like 100, 120K, 150K. Yeah. And some people are like, oh my God, you're an idiot, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, one of the things you need to do is you look, I, I've made a lot of money when it comes to crypto. That decision right there, I would have never made it normally. The reason I made it and it was stupid was because I bought it because it was just a, it was just a big F you. It, it was it was a big F you to the NFT community because everyone is like, oh, you know, because you got these like project founders and stuff like that who are like, yeah, I bought a mutant ape, blah, blah. And I'm like, 
or they're like, a, they have a bored ape and they think they're a god. And I'm like, I bought three on a video and literally said, I, this is the biggest scam on earth. I couldn't, I couldn't give less of a shit about this. This is literally just because I can, right? So the decision I made was very like- An was, emotional it, decision. It, it was a brand play. You know, it was, a, it was a decision purely based off of ego. And when you're making investments, don't ever make a decision based off of ego. Right. So the smarter thing for me to do would have been, okay, buy three, let, because instantly there was press and there was PR about it. Sell Cri into the noise. You know, cri cri crypto whale bought three, blah, blah, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the smart thing would have been to just sell it a week later and, you know, be done with it and just get the, uh, the free press. But, you know, I thought, oh, if people see me sell, then maybe they'll think, you know, it's because whatever I can't afford it or this or that. And, you know, so basically then I sold and, you know, I sold them when they were worth uh, like 250K. Uh, so I lost like 150 on each. And then they went down to sub 100. Yeah, so, I, think, I think they're at 85, 90K now. Yeah, right? so it's like, oh, you lost at 150. You know, you took 150 loss. So I was like, well, yeah, but I can also buy it now cheaper for 150. So imagine if I wrote it down even longer, you mm. know? So uh, the first mistake was that it was an ego-driven decision, but that was mainly as a bit of promo for the NFT project, which fun, I, I didn't need to do. Do, it do, you, do you think when you get as much free cash flow in life as what you have, uh -huh. do you think sometimes you can make a few moves that are like a bit fucking stupid? No, that was probably one of the only ego decisions I've made in a long time. I usually don't make ego-driven decisions. I like, I'm very, I have no respect for money whatsoever, uh, which is also the thing that most people, they're like, oh, you have to, I, you know, my mom's like, you have to respect money, you have to blah, blah. And I'm like, that's why you have none of it. Like, because, you know, look, here's the thing. No one is like, I have to be so careful with air. I have to respect air. Air is, you know, uh, it's, but there's an abundant it, amount of it. it, it there's an, now here's the thing: if you ever lose your access to air, <laughs> fuck, you appreciate it real quick, and that's the same thing with money. Yeah, you know, if you lose your access to money, you appreciate it real, real quick. But the thing is, I kind of view it like air, and the people who are, you know, the people who are so, um, I need to respect money, like it's uh, blah blah, like I got a penny pinch and this and that. It's you know, they usually don't have much of it because it's once again, it's on a pedestal. If you stop the flow of money in your life, like you stop, you start worrying about it, start hoarding it and stop the flow of it, money's energy, Yeah. right? So you, money has to flow. Mm -hmm. If you want money to flow to you, money has to flow away from you as well. So mm -hmm. you have to pay your suppliers on time, pay your partners on time, mm -hmm. pay the bills. Money, if you believe in the abundance of money, money will flow back to you. Mm -hmm. As long as you're providing value to the marketplace 100%. in equal and excess of what you're trying to take 100%. back. And it's like that. That's where people, I think, get trapped. They they mm. they, they they think money's money, but money's energy, mm. and you need to, need to treat it as such if you mm. want to create more of that in your life. That's mm. that's the way I've kind of understood. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Um, and as I said, I just think it, I, I don't put it on a pedestal, and I don't I don't respect it because my own government doesn't respect it. Like, well, they print it. Yeah, of course, they print it off thin air. It's worth nothing. So why it's, am I going to respect something my own government doesn't respect? Actually, in the U.S money isn't printed by the government money yeah, is printed federal by, reserve printed by federal reserve which is a corporation yeah which and is a privately owned institution that, you know, <laughs> yeah uh, this own this owned by a few families I yeah think. of course and all you need to do is read uh, a creature of jekyll island you know the federal or sorry the um the federal yeah the federal reserve was created in 1912 which also happened to be the year that um the irs was created so yeah the, the money's fake it's fully fake so why am i going to respect something when they don't even respect it so mm. and and it, it's hard to store something and keep something and and be sacred about 
something that they can just turn the printer on. Yeah, of course. And by the way, the other thing is I I save and invest 80% of everything I make. I'm very I'm I'm very smart financially, right? It's just the 20%, like I don't know, I'm just like I'm not a penny pincher, right? But also the other thing is like for some people the thing is you got to increase your amount of income. Yeah. Right? Like the thing is if you're earning 30,000 a year, it's going to be you can't save 80% and live off 20. Right. So you got to keep, keep making more and more. And then that way you can get to the percentages that I'm at. What is the sweet spot in terms of like, how much do you think is the sweet spot where, where, you, you know, you, you've, you've made enough in terms of like, not, not enough. Cause you always want to make more in life, but is it 30,000? Is it 20,000? What's, what's that? What's that spot? Well, a year or a month? No, a month. A month. Um, once again, it depends where you want to live. Like for, for example, in Cape town, I have legitimately, I've tried my, I've tried everything to spend more than 30,000 a month. Cause my quote is I need to spend around 150 to 200,000 a month. Like I, I, I'd force myself to spend it because for me, basically I spend 20% of everything I make. And it just so happens I'm in, you know, a, a very blessed part of my life where I'm, I make over 10 million a year. So it's, I force myself to spend 20% of everything I make. So as I said, when I'm in Cape town, I've tried in my absolute hard, hardest to spend more than 30,000 a month. It's impossible. So my point is, you could go like for example let's say you live in cape town and by the way i speak about cape town a lot because i have a house there you know y- your place could be anywhere in the world like wherever you find as a sanctuary like bali is another example yeah it's very hard like it's different when you're visiting there you know like i'm going to bali next week you know every place i'm every villa i'm staying at is like you know twenty five hundred dollars three thousand dollars a night but that's because you know I'm, I'm it's a villa i'm renting it right if you take those same places and you take a one-year lease you're gonna be spending you know you're gonna be spending the equivalent of let's say 400 a night right so the point is um find wherever your sanctuary is um but the point is you know if you go to bali and you actually like live live there and you that's where your base is you're gonna find it very difficult to spend more than 30 40 dollars a month so let's say you get to a point where you're making you know 30 40 a month uh obviously bear in mind taxes this that whatever your tax situation is um and you can you could not live more like a king in a certain place whereas if you come to london like Dude, when I come to like some people think it's ridiculous. They're like, oh, how do you spend like, you know, uh, let's say 30K on a weekend? It's pretty easy, honestly. You know, you do a bit of shopping, you go out, some dinners, uh, you know, you stay in a, uh, you know, you stay in a hotel. If you're staying, you know, in a nice hotel in London, it's going to cost you two, three thousand pounds a night. So it's, it figure out where it is. If you want to live in London, I don't think, if not to say that 30K isn't enough, but you're not going to live like a king for 30K a month. Yeah, yeah, you got to right? pick a place where you can live. Like if you want to live in Miami, 30K, you're going to live a great life. Don't don't get me wrong, but you, you're not going to live like a king, right? Same thing in Dubai. Whereas if you go to Cape Town, if you go to, you know, um, I said, if you actually like locate to Bali, whatever it is, and you make 20, 30K a month, you're going to be living well. You're going to be living very, very well. So that's why, you know, just, I think, you know, people shouldn't be, if you have the ability to, and, you know, if you're in the sort of businesses that we're talking about, you have that sort of uh, location freedom. So don't be married to a place for the season of your life. You know, like, for example, I will never, ever raise a family in Dubai. No chance in hell. A lot of the places, and same thing with like Cape Town, I necessarily wouldn't want to raise my family, you know, when it comes to family time, I wouldn't necessarily want to raise them in Cape Town. Um, but for this season of my life, it works very well to, to have a, a second home there. Do you, in one of your biggest plays mm-hmm. in the last I'd say 18 months from my perspective was the fact of like you had the balls to go one month and drop a million dollars into crypto mm-hmm. yeah that blew up 
to I think ten and a half million. It became it went to five months later it was worth seven and then I recorded a YouTube video I think I'm probably the only person on YouTube who literally I I took everything off my cold storage put them all into exchanges and literally screen shared refreshed my exchanges and showed my six point eight million dollar crypto portfolio and no one I don't think anyone has li- actually proven it. Um, I did that recorded a video five days or three or five days after the video came out that portfolio was worth uh, 3.5 million so 3.3 dollars worth of value wiped out bear in mind i'd still only put a million dollars of principal in so i was still up a lot but then i wrote it through the summer and then by the next wave you know when it reached its, its next peak you know i i learned a skill which is very important uh you know in that in that space which is taking profits right so by the end of the year it was worth yeah over 10 million but i had to learn some lessons to get there yeah and did you in when you when you say you learned the lesson of taking profit, did you take out three, four, five million profit, or did you? Yeah, I mean, uh, so it, once again, it depends because you can roll it into different things. So it's when you, what I'm saying is you didn't take it out; just take five million out cash. You've gone and invested it into other assets. To... Right now, I'm sitting majority cash. Right now, I'm sitting in terms of like my actual liquid wealth. I'd say I'm seventy percent cash at the moment. Yeah. That surprises me. Yeah, because prices are going to come down. Crypto prices. Look, I mean, I bought like I got fully out of crypto by April. The last thing I got out of crypto with, like the last thing I I sold was Luna in April. So saw, you have no, you have no Bitcoin, no Ethereum. No, no and then I bought. I started buying crypto, and I think like June, I had some uh, market orders set. I had some market orders set at um uh uh. It was like roughly around um uh 20k it's slightly different that was some uh, key ranges some key numbers but 20k um uh, 19 uh, and then i even got some filled at 18. so i have like yeah. a, i have like a, at the moment i've got like a million dollars worth of bitcoin yeah because I, I bought them at prices where like let's say things go down to 14k bitcoin uh which i i think is definitely a, a possibility 16 17 i think for me is almost a guarantee uh, but let's say they go down to you know 14 13. if i bought it at 18, 19, I'm not super stressed in the long term. Yeah. Right. But I don't want to be buying, you know, I think Bitcoin, right, you know, today's $23,000. I'm, I'm not that interested. You know, I'm, I'm patient. That's the thing. When I first started getting into investing and getting easy investing money, because that's what crypto is. It's easy money, right? It's easy investing money. Now, you have to go through so many trials and tribulations and there's so much emotional sort of tolerance that you have to stomach. So I wouldn't say it's easy. You know, otherwise everyone would do it. I've had people like, oh, you made, you know, it's easy to make that money. And it's like, well, no, not really, because then you would have done it. Like you didn't have the balls to put in how much I put in yeah. and you didn't also weather the storm. I had to learn a lot of lessons. As I said the main one was learning how to take profits. So, um, but it is unnatural gains in that amount of time. I I took a few profits at, the, at, the, at between 50 and 65 when Bitcoin mm-hmm. was between 50 and 65. But in hindsight, I should have probably took more. Yeah. I, but, but I've got, I've, I've still got all of it. Because yeah, not, because I, because I, you know I made a mistake and you know yeah. in the next in the next bull run you'll learn yeah I will learn that as I will dollar cost average it out on the way up yeah. as a dollar cost average in on exactly. the way down that's the most important and that's thing. probably something I've I've learned the hard way and and it's not about taking big chunks mm-hmm. it's, it's literally dollar cost average in dollar cost average out. It's just know. It's just knowing that you're not a genius. You're never. You're never going to time the top or the bottom. Yeah. So just once you start to get into key ranges where you're like, okay, things are getting too fluffy. It, 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 there has to be a pullback. Then you know, as I said, set your uh, set your sell orders uh, and then sell your your buy orders at other key ranges. So yeah, right now I'm sitting seventy percent cash. Like the only thing is I've got 
you know, my watch portfolio, which is phenomenal. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I think it's maybe three and a half, roughly around three and a half million dollars. Um, those I'm not going to sell because I got basically every single watch. Yeah, pretty much every single watch I got was at, at retail. Um, and when you walk out the shop with some of the watches that you're buying, they've already gone up four times value. Like. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sell it. And the other thing is, you know, don't, you know, because the issue is that then if you sell the watches and, you know, you ever get found out, then that you're basically blacklisted from the brands. And then, yeah, you know, just, it's just not a smart thing to do. So they, they, they don't want anyone that gets a watch at retail to sell it, do they? Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, I've got my watch portfolio. I, I do have... <laughs> Actually, I have like uh, three, between three to four hundred thousand dollars worth of um, uh, bags, which sound ridiculous to some people. But actually, um, you know, Birkins and, and Kellys are, are great investments. Um, so I, I started. I didn't know that. I just thought you were buying those for your mom. Uh, no, I do buy some for my mom. Um, but then also, the thing is, there's a difference. It's kind of the same thing with watches. The watches that look the best or like you would want aren't necessarily always the ones that are best for investment. If right. that makes sense, you know. So in, some of them, in terms of like the best watches at the moment for investment terms, in your opinion, what are they? Uh, the ones that have gone hit the most. Um, so you know, Rolexes have taken a big uh, battering. Um, same thing with Patek. But I, I just think it's the stuff that they don't make anymore. You know, like most people don't realize, like steel Daytonas. There's a lot of them. There's, they, they produce a lot of them. Uh, it's the stuff where, as I said, they don't, they don't make it anymore, and they're not really the hype pieces. So. Um, I mean, yeah, I said, this, this, I don't want to give any specific things because, you know, some people might take it as gospel, but um, in general, uh, I would avoid stuff that's still currently in production, in mass production. And uh, as I said, even when it comes to watches, uh, I think they're going to come down a lot. And is is it worth I mean, buying? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Yeah. Over there, I've got a 5712 that I picked up two days ago. It's a, a Nautilus, a Patek Philippe Nautilus steel. One of my friends bought it for... 140,000 pounds in February. Uh, and once again, I have a great relationship with Patek. Uh, I buy all my pieces direct from Patek. Um, and the the aftermarket never, but it, you know, obviously I get, you know, I get maybe two, three pieces a year from Patek, right? Um, from Rolex, I get, I don't know, maybe 15. Obviously, bear in mind, they make a lot more watches as well. Um, and then from the other brands, I said, you know, maybe two or three as well. Um, so, you know, I know eventually if I want it, I'll get that 5712 from Patek, but there's other pieces that I want more, right? Uh, so those are like the, the main focuses. So that watch, for example, in February, I had a friend who bought it for 140,000 and I told him, I'm like, do not do it. It's going to drop a lot. And I just bought that watch yesterday for 77 box papers, everything because. Well, and, and that was already pre-owned. Yeah. The, and the, yeah, but that watch was, as I said, 140 in February. Mad. And I'm like, don't, you guys are idiots. Don't buy it. I mean, the watch goes for, you know, 95, 100. I bought it for 77 because it's just, that's the thing. Like there's watches that I don't, I, I don't, I, for me personally, I don't want to, I don't prefer buying from the aftermarket just because I have the relationship with, relationships with the brands. So I know I'm going to get the watches anyways uh, because we built a very good, yeah, we just built a very good relationship over time. Um, you know, they know I'm a good client. They know I'm not going to sell it. They know, you know, I buy a lot of stuff from my mom as well. Um, but at some of the prices that I'm getting them at, I, I can't say no. You know, I, I think it's going to go down even further. And it's the same thing. And that's why I'm sitting very cash heavy because, you know, I'm not emotional. I've got so much cash. And if a good deal comes across, then sure. But I'm, I, I know things are going to come down a lot more. And my the main chunk of my money where it's going is going to be real estate. I'm just waiting. What 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 type of real estate? Type of real estate, it's all going to be real estate in Dubai. 
Uh, I have no interest in buying in the UK for the moment. For so it it's more ties and you know HMRC will try to find any reason to to fuck you. So I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather <laughs> you know, I, I'd rather. You, yeah, I know this. You uh, know, so for me, I have no ties in the UK, no ties whatsoever. I spend less than forty five days of the year here. You, you know, I'm allowed to spend ninety days a year uh, with no issues. Um, I spend less than forty five. I don't, you know, I, I don't want any reasons uh, for them to try to give me, yeah. Obviously, look, I'm, I'm in the most traditional business businesses on earth, and you know, I've made my money in such a transparent and open way. And from the age of 18, you know, when I first started my business, uh, even though I've had, you know, I've had companies in many different countries, even when I first started my business, um, I've still had very clean books and stuff like that. But it's just, yeah, I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather not deal with HMRC. So um, one aspect of that is owning properties, because owning properties is more ties to the UK. More ties you have, more reason to be like, ah. You're actually a British taxpayer. You're actually, yeah, yeah. You know, so, and plus just, they, they treat landlords here like, they, you know, like, they're, well, they're, they're, they're just about to sign off something in the UK next year, which is why I'm thinking about getting out of properties here mm -hmm. um, to say that uh, the tenants can stop you selling your properties as well. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's, and even just the fact that you can't even write off your, the interest on your loan as an expense. Whereas like, for example, in the US, if you can do that, you know, so just, um, yeah, just it's it's. I don't think it's a favorable place it's, it's, to own property. So I'm I'm gonna be buying in Dubai. What what primarily. what what type of property in Dubai? Though? Apartments, houses, apartments, apartments mainly. Apartments, some houses, and Airbnb. No, just rent them out. Like uh, you know, I'll give you an example. The you know the place I'm in in Dubai. First of all, when I first moved there, it was worth uh, the property was worth seven point two million dirhams. So seven point two million dirhams. And um, you know, four bedroom apartment plus maid's room, uh, four bedroom apartment, like nicest configuration. Uh, you know, right at the end of the building, so I have like 180 views in my um, in my uh, bedroom of like the water and everything like that, uh, right on the beach. So that was uh, 7.2 million uh, when I moved in, and uh, my rent is 600,000 dirhams a year. So that is r roughly around seven and a half percent the value of the property. In terms of rental income yeah right and that's if you're buying cash whereas you know most people are getting loans so your cash on cash return is insane and now the value the value of the property uh you know less than a year later is 9.2 million so it's worth two million dirhams more in one year and i mean you know my landlords did increase um increase the uh, uh the what's called the rental um but now they're renting out for around 800,000 dirhams a year so yeah, Dubai property prices are great, but that, they go up, but they also come down more. Yeah. You know, like I always say. Do you reckon Dubai's due to correction? Because they're building a hell of a lot out there. Yeah, 100%. Everything is. Everything is. Yeah. That's why I'm waiting, you know. Uh, the real estate market, uh, you know, uh, starts to sort of collapse 18 months on from when the stock market collapses. So, you know, if we look at, you know, roughly around November. Of I still think we've got another 20, 30% to come down in the stock market. Yeah, I, I think so. But, you know, if we look at November 2021, I'm you know, somewhere in 2023 re region, that's basically what I'm stacking cash for. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's prudent to do that because I was beating myself up the other day with, in, in regards to, cause I'm cash heavy in certain respects as well. And I was beating myself up for having so much, but hearing you say that, and I've heard Hormozy say it as well on his, on his YouTube and TikTok that he's got like 30, 40 million in the bank mm -hmm. because he, because he doesn't think there's a better opportunity at the moment than cash. Mm -hmm. And, but everyone tells you not to have cash in the bank. You know, you got the Grant mm -hmm. Cardone's and Rob Moore was saying, mm -hmm. don't have cash in the bank to me as well. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, who do you, everyone's got a different opinion on cash in the bank, isn't they? It depends on your opportunities. Once again, as I said, it's like, look, I mean, uh, I could buy, you know, it's like, 
it's not that I think it's smart to have cash. It's just I'm looking at the opportunities. And the thing is, there's more opportunities. For example, in the crypto market, right? We might have real estate prices at all time highs, or we might have a real estate, a, a very solid real estate market. But if uh, you know Bitcoin goes down to fourteen, fifteen thousand, dude, I'm deploying five million dollars, right? So it's so sick, bro. <laughs> that. That's so sick, man. Yeah, that's inspiration, man. I'd love to have five million dollars of cash out on the sidelines, man. That this is this is this is why I got you on here because that is inspiring shit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To how old are you? Twenty two. 22 years old now 22 years old mm -hmm. to have to be able to deploy five million of cash into a into a crypto crash fucking unbelievable bro so first of all i, I appreciate that no nah, mate, you but, got uh, uh, credit because i'm i'm 34 years old and i didn't even start in business and entrepreneurship till i was like 27 28 so i so i started late yeah. you know what i'm saying so it's it, it's it's inspiring when i get lads like you say that because it's like my mate Lester as well, who, who, who we sent that message. Lester, if you're listening to this, bro, you should. Lester, if you're listening to this, mate, you should love me right now for what I sent you. But anyway, but he, he he's another he's another you know 18, 19, 20 years old with mm. with, with with all this cash and stuff like that. That's fucking brilliant, man. Mm. You got to celebrate that. You got to celebrate. I appreciate that. it, man. Especially especially as, as when you get into your thirties, like me, man. You but yeah, mm. man. Full credit to you, bro. Thank full you, credit man. for that. <laughs> but no, you're gonna you're gonna deploy that into mm. into into this next crash but okay. as i said i'm saying like that could happen let's say whatever that happens and you know let's say something crazy happens uh you know the federal reserve uh at their next meeting decides to raise interest rate yeah. by you know 100 basis points yeah right um and you know crypto goes down or you know let's say i mean very like you know very possible something happens with tether right uh and and, and <laughs> tether's a i do i don't keep anything in tether you know it's taking time bomb and it's uh you know, and let's say something happens and there's a flash crash and all that stuff, I'll deploy it. And as I said, I could deploy that because there's opportunity there. Whereas the, the thing that I really want to put most of my money in, which is real estate at this point, I might be waiting for the right moment for yeah. real estate. So it's not, I'm, I, I'm not, you know, I'm looking for different opportunities in different markets. You've got, you, you, what you've done is you've built a boring business that's kicked <laughs> off cash flow. This allowed you to stack cash, mm -hmm. which now allows you time to think, mm -hmm. which is what a lot of people don't understand. You've yeah. got time to think. Mm -hmm. And that's what putting cash on the sidelines and saving and stuff like that and mm -hmm. and, and being prudent in those regards gives you because all you, all essentially a lot of you are looking for is time. Once mm -hmm. you got once you once you got the time a year's worth of cash in your bank, mm -hmm. that's that gives you if you fucking you can sort anything out in a year can't you mm. if you fuck it up you can if you can just sit there and think about what you've done for a year mm. that's fucking brilliant isn't it mm. so it's like you know what you've done is prudent mate like you, you've got time and time is what you need mm. and you've bought that that five million buys a shitload of time because mm. mate even at your run rate of lifestyle how many years of lifestyle does that give you five? Oh, i got more than five yeah i know i'm just <laughs> saying just let's just work on five uh, uh let's uh, not much five gives me two and a half years i like to spend i spend like two million a year yeah but two and a half years is a fucking long time to sort your shit out bro yeah but also i mean look if it, if it came down to it and i lost all my income and i only had five then basically i'd invest all of it and then i only live off of the the cash you know the free cash flow from that then i then i'd move to cape town and i just lived there for a couple of years until i got back to the point where i was earning a lot of money so if you're someone who's listening to this podcast that's massively inspired by you obviously followed your journey on youtube there's going to be a lot of a lot of lads especially watching this fucking lit up thinking about all the stuff that you've done and achieved and they're starting at between zero to 10k mm -hmm. you know 
because a lot of people will be starting literally there or they're definitely starting under 50 50k right mm -hmm. 25k what are the things that they should action in their life right now to give them the best chance of getting from there to a hundred from a hundred to a million so that they can go and achieve the kind of, and then go on from there mm -hmm. to achieve the lifestyle that you've got In increase your income whether that's at your job finding a way to sell the value that you bring to your company at your current existing job or being wise enough to realize that 99.5 percent of companies are just it's a dead end you're not going to get anywhere with there you know with it um so either increasing your income that way or increase your income by starting a cash flow business uh, or just offering services basically something where just get your money up that's that's all you got to do and in order to get your money up you have to be practical okay don't try to start a business where the potential downside is very high you know one of the things about you know for example you look at a um you know a wise chess player or a wise um uh fighter whatever it is you you're always calculating what's the downside what's the downside risk to what i'm about to do that's like getting to a certain level in life really is not about thinking so much about the upside basically it's you're looking for asymmetric returns right like any chess player any fighter any business person is looking for asymmetric returns how can i have you know a lot of upside with almost zero uh zero to no downside you know or, or as little downside to, to zero downside as humanly possible and if you can just keep making those bets again and again then you're gonna win so as i said trying to start a business where there's a lot of upside right or trying to start a, a side hustle or a gig or whatever it is where there's a lot of upside and you're mitigating as much downside as humanly possible and when it comes to that don't be romantic about it like just i don't know do whatever you want like i said whether you want to get a, a good sales job and you're making 10 20 30k a month and you're able to you know be able to put away 60 you know even 50 percent of it and you know over a few years you manage to build up a pretty good investment portfolio whether it's that or you start your own cash flow business do whatever you want i don't really care you know on on that side of things but just increase your income but just increase that's the first place you need to start in i want to just talk to you before we go as well on in in regards to like meditation mm -hmm. and psychedelics mm -hmm. because it's something that I, I only experienced psychedelics myself like in terms of like a mushroom journey and i'm talking about not the mushroom journey I did was a journey. It wasn't mm -hmm. going to a, going to part life and getting off me off me tits on yeah. five grams. It's like yeah. a proper journey. But what's your experience? Obviously, meditation is something I know that's a mm -hmm. staple with you in terms of like how it's changed your life. But how have psychedelics opened your mind? So when it comes to uh, psychedelics, it. I mean, look. Also, the thing is, I did psychedelics for the first time when I was fifteen. Like I did LSD for the first time when I was fifteen. LSD, I'm talking about mushrooms, but you go straight on the LSD. Yeah, yeah. I, I, went, I went on LSD. First few times I did psychedelics, it was LSD because it was easier to get off the black market or like easier to get off um, uh, Silk Road or whatever. whatever it's called. <laughs> That's where the first use of Bitcoin was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I was buying, like, I was using Bitcoin to buy LSD uh, deli <laughs> delivered to because LSD, you can't find it when it's like, you could royal mail LSD. It's, it doesn't matter, right? Like you, there's no smell. There's no, like it's impossible to find. It's like a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper. I have no idea. I've never had LSD. So you know, I did LSD when I was like 15, which I don't recommend for most people, by the way. And then I got into mushrooms. I've done ayahuasca, all that stuff. Um, I think psychedelics make sense when you're lost in life. I haven't done psychedelics in a while because I'm not lost in life. I'm in a, a phase of my life where I know what I need to do, and it's just about executing. If I get to a phase where I'm like, I really I'm at a crossroads. I don't know where to go next. Then psychedelics make sense. I love it. I love it, man. And thank you so much for your time today, brother. I really oh, appreciate it. I really appreciate having you on the podcast, man. Thanks. And uh, guys, do me a solid favor. Yeah? 
if you like this video, which you should like this video, and you got a lot of value out of the man himself that I brought on here, do me a solid favor here, hit the like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's loads more content on here. Like like Iman said, like we, Davey Foggy has been on this channel. Lester Javalone has been on this channel. Loads of other e-com entrepreneurs, business people. We've got Alan from Grenade that's probably on this channel by now as well. You've got Ryan Terry. You've got Matt Does Fitness. You've got all these people on the, you know, that we're stacking the deck with quality on here, stacking the deck. So do us a solid favor. Let us know what you think in the comments as well. Appreciate you all. Much love. Don't forget to subscribe to the Frankie Lee Podcast.